pray. Father, help us to hear this story uh, that we just heard, this gospel story. Help us to hear it as good news in the wilderness, in our wilderness. Give, give me grace to be clear and for your word to be heard with ears that can hear in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be good to us in Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. We're now in the season of Lent. Lots of, lots of changes, as you may have seen in our singing and in what we're wearing to mark this new season. A season, this one given to fasting, to repentance, to resisting temptation under difficult circumstances. And as I, I think of the, as been thinking, as probably all of you have, the situation in Ukraine, I think of, of course, how I can fast for Ukraine, the people of Ukraine, so I can pray for them, so I can consider how to deny myself in some way and, and help there. How I need to pray for repentance for the Russian army, for Russian leaders to repent from evil. I need to pray for the people of Ukraine for, of course, so many things, so many needs. And one of the things I think we might not think about is how we need to pray for them to be able to resist new temptations they have never experienced yet, that are going to come upon them, that are upon them now, and are going to increase over time. We need to pray for such grace for them. And that grace is found, of course, in our gospel story with Jesus in the wilderness. The wilderness, it is a place of danger and deprivation. A place where you're, you're pushed to your limits, where ultimate questions are raised, where the core of your identity is challenged and tested. That's where Ukraine is right now. That's where we are in the church calendar with Jesus in the wilderness. This story starts with Jesus leaving the waters of the Jordan where he had just been baptized. He was first baptized with water by John. Then he was baptized by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, by the Father. These two things are happening right after one another. The Spirit descends on him like a dove, in the form of a dove, it says. Along with these words from the Father descending upon him, you are my son, the beloved, the one whom I love, the one with whom I am well pleased. Those words are descending on him, along with the Holy Spirit and water. Scholars recognize that last phrase there, with whom I'm well pleased, to be a reference, in fact, to Isaiah 42. Chapter 42, verse 1, where it says, Behold, the one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice 
to the nations. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This uh, picture, which you've seen many times up here, this is a picture of that. This baptism of water and words and of the Holy Spirit on Jesus. This is painted by Julia Stankova, an artist, a living artist in Bulgaria. And you can notice the, the spirit coming down here in the form of the dove and the water washing over Jesus from the, from the Father, from above. And Jesus here is receiving it. He's feeling it. He's satisfied with this. He knows there's no better place to be than here with the Father, with his words washing over him in the spirit, in these waters. There's no better place to be for him or for us. And so he's doing this as one of us in our world, in our humanity, in our flesh and blood. He's doing this, as I mentioned last week, as the second Adam. He is here to reset and switch back our humanity to God. That's what he's doing here. To bring our humanity into these waters with human ears that actually hear and believe this, these words with a mind, heart, soul, and body that actually receives this spirit and these words and this love and then gives that to others. Here's a human who's really doing this as we should be, as we were created to be. He's done this as one of us and he's done this for us on our behalf as the second Adam. He's done this in our place, in our humanity, so that we would experience this in his place, in his humanity. So that in him, each of us too would receive that same spirit and those same words from the Father. You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love, whom my soul delights in. We're meant to stand there in him. To be a Christian is to be in him, in this, receiving this with him, like him. The baptism he did, he went through, he did as one of us, he did for us so that he would share it with us. That's the whole of his human life is like that. He, his life and his death, his resurrection and ascension in our flesh was done as one of us for us so that we would experience with him in the spirit. That we would participate in his humanity. In our gospel passage, his resistance to temptation in the wilderness was done as one of us, for us. So that he would share that with us in the spirit. So that we could resist temptation like he did, so that we could be faithful to the Father in the wilderness like he did. 
with the same spirit, the very same Holy Spirit that he was baptized in and filled with for life and for loving people. The same spirit we are baptized with and filled with in order to live and love those around us. When Jesus left the the waters of the Jordan, he didn't leave the Holy Spirit behind. The passage starts with saying, Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. And actually, there was a verse right at the end we didn't get to hear, but the story actually ends with Jesus still being filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled all the way through, and that made all the difference. He's in this environment that was a wilderness, that was dangerous and deprived, and he had deprived himself of food for 40 days. But he was still filled with the Spirit. Which meant that where Adam failed in the garden, where Israel would fail in the wilderness, where we have failed in our own gardens, in our own wildernesses, Jesus did not. And it expressed so well last Wednesday for Ash Wednesday how where Jesus didn't actually fail, what he did was he filled the wilderness with faithfulness. Faithfulness to the Father. Faithfulness to his words, to his promises, his purposes. In the wilderness, he did that. Because he was filled himself with the Holy Spirit. Adam, he was living in the garden, in an ideal environment, with food as far as the eye could see. And he still succumbed with Eve to temptation. Sometimes we think, man, if only my environment was better, if only my circumstances would be better, then I would be able to resist temptation. Then I would be able to start being faithful to God. Adam proves otherwise. Israel was in the wilderness, yes, but they were fed miraculously along the way. I think sometimes we think, man, if only I saw a miracle, if only God provided a miracle for me in some way, shape, or form, then I would start being faithful. Israel shows us otherwise. But Jesus, he's in the wilderness without food, without some miraculous Provision, and yet he resisted, and yet he remained faithful. So where Adam failed, where Israel failed, where we did not resist temptation, right where we failed, there is Jesus standing and resisting and overcoming. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that he received at his baptism He's filled with that spirit, and he's filled with those words from the Father. You are my son, whom I love, whom my soul delights. It is knowing that baptism, those words, in and with Jesus, in the power of the spirit, that will enable you to resist temptation when it comes. And when you are tempted, that is the very thing that will be attacked. Because when Jesus was tempted, that was the very thing that was attacked. 
What did the devil say to Jesus in the first and the last temptation? If you are the son of God. This is similar to his tactic in the garden with Adam. Did God really say, don't eat, this, eat from this particular tree? He turns God's commandment into a question. Did God really say you are his beloved son? Then prove it. Prove it with power. Turn these stones into bread. Prove it if that's true. The goal of the devil is to cast doubt here on Jesus on what was already affirmed at his baptism with the Spirit, with these words from the Father. Did God really say that? Then prove it. We too are tempted to prove who we are. This is a big one in Boston. To prove who we are with something impressive, accomplished, and powerful. Prove who you are to me is the temptation we hear in greater Boston. But power, accomplishment, bread, we think those might satisfy us, but they only satisfy so much. We don't live by bread alone, Jesus says. We do live by bread. We need bread to live. But bread alone only satisfies so much. We were made for more than bread. Only the words of our Father spoken over to us will satisfy our soul. You can't prove who you are. Only the words of the Father can prove who you are. It's a fruitless endeavor. When we have already been affirmed in Christ with these words, remember the meaning of your baptism. Trying to resist this temptation too to prove yourself or to satisfy yourself, that's not going to be enough. You need to do it in the Son of God, filled with His Holy Spirit, filled with the words of our Father, like Jesus did. If that's what Jesus needed to do, we're not going to do it better than that. <laughs> we need to do the same thing because the devil is going to tempt you beyond you are able to resist by yourself. And he's going to come again and again. He doesn't just try once. He comes again like he did to Jesus. And he comes a second time to Jesus to offer him kingdoms, authority, splendor. These are actually all things that belonged to Jesus that were coming to Jesus. If you keep reading the story, after he was crucified and risen from the dead. After he rose from the dead, he told his disciples, now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples. That authority was coming, but in God's way through the cross and resurrection, in God's timing. And in Christ, we participate in that. We are called to reign with Christ on the earth in that authority, but in God's way, in God's time. The devil tempts us by offering a shortcut to that. 
That's typically what he does. By offering us a way that doesn't include the cross or the way of the cross. He offers us an easy, comfortable Christianity. And, I and if we're honest, that's what we want to. Give me a Christianity that's easy, that doesn't have a cross in it. But at the center of the Christian life is a cross. Beware of the temptation of the evil one. It's a way that is, we're asked to compromise at some point. Just worship me, says the devil. A little footnote in the contract. <laughs> Start living by my words, my ways, and this can be subtle. There's some little compromise he gets you to do along the way. And he doesn't come like a big scary creature. He comes as an angel of light with some new enlightened teaching coming your way to do this. But you know this, it's going to cause you to compromise at some point. It's going to cause you to go to a shortcut to that authority that doesn't have a cross in it. That's how you're going to recognize the hiss of the serpent that comes as an angel of light. Listen for that. He's going to come again and again. He says to Jesus in the last temptation, at the top of the highest point in the temple, hey, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Certainly the angels of God are going to catch you. They're not going to let you get hurt. And this time he quotes scripture. He knows if he can't get Jesus to turn from the words of the father, he's got to twist them somehow. So he quotes scripture to Jesus. But again, he's causing him to question his identity to prove his identity through some spectacular superhero kind of way. <laughs> Jump down, act like an Avenger. <laughs> but Jesus resists that. I want to be an Avenger, I'll be honest. <laughs> I want that power, I want that splendor without a cross. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus resisted that. He knows the scriptures and the words of his father better than the devil, which is not true of all of us. He lives by them. He is filled with them. He is satisfied with them. He doesn't need to prove himself. He knows who he is. He's the son of God, whom God loves, his father loves, who's his, who his father's soul delights in. He's already heard that in the spirit. He goes back to that. And in him, we can do the same thing. We're called to do the same thing. What we see him doing here in the wilderness, again, he is doing as one of us for us so that he would share that with us in the spirit. So we would live our lives, again, not just as spectators of him, a hooray for Jesus kind of Christianity. <laughs> no, he wants us to live in him to be baptized into him by the Holy Spirit, to live our lives in him as the second Adam, in his new humanity that resisted every temptation and expressed faithfulness even in the wilderness. He did that as one of us for us so that we would do that with him. Think of Lent as a time to remember and practice 
the meaning of your baptism from this angle. You've been baptized into this gospel story, into the Son of God here in the wilderness, who's resisting every temptation here, yet not succumbing, who is filled with the words of the Father and received those and believed those as one of us, as we should, as we find it so hard to do. So when temptation comes, remember that. Remember, you are in him. That's your new identity, not the old Adam who failed. It's Jesus, the new Adam, who didn't. Is that in your imagination when temptation comes? In Jesus, we're to count ourselves as people who have already come, overcome. As Paul says in Romans 6, Jesus died to sin and is alive to God. Therefore, you count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Jesus resisted temptation in the wilderness. And in him, you too should consider yourselves ones who resist the devil and overcome and express faithfulness by the same Holy Spirit. Count yourselves as such people. Live as such people through faith and the Holy Spirit. Once you're experiencing hunger or cravings in some form and temptation comes to prove yourself with superhero powers, when you're hungry and the temptation comes to live an easy, comfortable, compromised life, when you're hungry and the temptation comes to live without the cross, the way of the cross, or the words of our Father, say to yourself, no, in Jesus, I've already resisted and overcome. In Jesus, I've already expressed faithfulness to the Father. Come, Holy Spirit, help me live that, even now. When temptation comes and you say to yourself, no, in Jesus, I have resisted I am with Jesus, one whom God already has affirmed. Hear that. Hear those words of Jesus. You are a son of God, a child of God, a daughter of God, one whom God loves, one in whom God's soul delights. That has already been affirmed over you in Jesus. That has already been heard and received and believed by Jesus on your behalf. That's who you truly are. Hear that. Affirm that. Say, yes, Holy Spirit. Help me do that. Help me to live that. Again, remember the meaning of your baptism. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you do that, to immerse you in this Jesus, the Son of God, to soak you with him, to fill you with him. He comes not just to do that for a brief moment in your conversion. He comes to do that through your whole life. You can pray that every morning. Soak me, Father, with Jesus in his humanity. Immerse me in it. Fill me with it this day. May it be so. Amen.